Welcome to the Confirmation Project. This is our third webinar that we're hosting. Um, we will be having Sylvia Bull join us this morning. She's a pastoral intern in Boone, North Carolina, and she's one of our researchers for the Confirmation Project. So welcome, Sylvia. Um, one of the great things about this project is we've been able to use technology in exciting ways to share our research, in, um, hopefully in ways that connect with um, audiences across the United States, maybe even across the world. Um, so Sylvia's joining us. She's working right now. Um, she was working as one of our researchers, and she did a number of visits to congregations and is one of the people who now is getting to implement some of her um, kind of insights and findings immediately into a church context. If you weren't able to join us, we've done two webinars already. The first one was led by Rick Osmer and myself. I'm Katie Douglas. Um, that webinar was kind of some early emerging findings from our research. And then the second webinar we hosted was a couple months ago, and Jacob Sorensen led that one on camp and um, research that he's doing with a specific focus related to camp and the confirmation project. Next month, we'll have Terry Elton, who's a professor at um, Luther Seminary, and Lisa Kimball, who's at Virginia Theological Seminary, and they'll be sharing um, some insights that they've found um, about confirmation and congregations as well, based on our research. So, Sylvia, I want to welcome you, and I'll tell you how we're going to spend our time, everyone. Sylvia will have the floor, or the camera, however it is, uh, for the next about 40 minutes, 45 minutes. And then um, I'm going to invite you, as she's talking, um, hopefully you can see a place where you can type in questions. So as they arise, you're welcome to type in questions, and I will keep track of those. And then at the end, I will pose your questions to Sylvia, and we'll hear what she has to say. So you might want her to clarify something, or you might say, gosh, tell me more about whatever. Um, so that's how we'll spend our time. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, and Sylvia, I'll have you take over. Great. Uh, thanks so much, Katie. Um, it's just been such a, an exciting uh, journey to be part of the project. Um, so what I'm going to be talking about with you today is the Confirmation Project in Context. So Basically, um, I worked on the project um, for just about two years, um, and now I'm actually teaching confirmation in a church. I'm a pastoral intern at Grace Lutheran Church in Boone, North Carolina. This is the last step in my um, in my process to become an ordained Lutheran pastor. So, uh, one of my responsibilities is to be a co-teacher for confirmation. So basically, how this is going to go this morning, how I've kind of structured the presentation, is that I'm going to introduce you to my context, what confirmation is like in at Grayson Boone, and then I'm going to go through some of the learnings that I've gleaned from working on the project and raise some questions for how those learnings from other sites might be adapted to your particular context. So I'll be using my context here at Grayson Boone as a case study. So the first thing I want to do is introduce you a little bit to Grace Lutheran. Um, so Grace is a congregation of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, and it's located in the far northwest corner of North Carolina in the mountains. Uh, we have about 550 members and about 220 for worship attendance, just to give you a sense of the size, because as we, one of the things we've been learning is that size does matter for how uh, programs are structured and how they're run. 
and what kind of challenges and opportunities they provide. So we have about 10 or 12 confirmation students, depending on who shows up on Sunday morning. Um, we have a very much a gender imbalance. We have usually about nine boys and two girls. So that also makes a difference for us. Uh, the age breakdown is that we have two sixth graders, one seventh grader, and eight eighth graders. <laughs> um, so again, a little bit of an imbalance there. One of the unique things about our site is that we have our, our confirmation time is from 10 a.m. to 10.45 a.m. on Sundays, and about 30 to 35 minutes of that is teaching time. So it's very short. We have to pack a lot into a very small amount of time. We're also on a three-year confirmation program, which might be different from um, what some of you are doing, especially if you're from a different tradition. Lutherans tend to have kind of a long confirmation program time. Um, so we do three years. The first year is on the Bible, the second year is on the small catechism, and the third year is on discipleship. And so this year, we're doing the year of the Bible. So it's important to keep that in mind. A lot of what I'll be telling you relates specifically to the content that we're teaching, which is about the Bible. So um, the teaching that we do at uh, Grace and Confirmation is shared between me and the senior pastor, Derek Boggs. So we usually um, alternate, depending on who's preaching that Sunday. Um, we have a challenging group, behavior-wise. Um, they just, I'm sure a lot of you have experienced that. Sometimes they just, they're off the wall and they can't settle down and we have a lot of boys that distract each other in our group. Um, again, we have a short teaching time. And one of the other unique things about our site is that half of the teaching team changes every year. So um, the intern is responsible for helping teach confirmation and there's a new one every single year. Um, so one of the great things, though, about this year was that um, since Derek knew that I was going to, that I had been working with the confirmation pro project, I was brought in early on the planning process. They wanted to kind of rethink some things they were doing with confirmation, and they said, even though you haven't started yet, we'd like to bring you in and help us with the rethinking of this. Um, so. What we're going to do today is we're going to go through some of the learnings from the project and talk about how we've applied them to our context. And then the slides will have questions then again that you can use to figure out how you might apply some of these learnings to your own context. So let's start. Without further ado, the confirmation project learnings, how we've applied them, applied them to Grace Lutheran and how you can apply them too. Um, a disclaimer that these are not our official uh, results or learnings, um, but rather learnings that I've gleaned from visiting the sites that I visited for the project and also from reading the other portraits and talking with the other researchers about their site visits. So just keep that in mind. Learning number one, effective confirmation means knowing your goals. And this is one of the things we really noticed as we worked with different sites was that programs that were really effective knew what they were trying to do and they always kept that in mind as they were assessing um, what kind of teaching methods they were going to use, how they were going to structure their programs. Um, so this is the first thing that I asked when I was brought on to uh, the, the team at Grace thinking about how, how are we going to do this year of the Bible for confirmation. So in meeting with the senior pastor and the youth minister, I asked what are our goals for confirmation? And specifically, what are our goals for this year of confirmation, for this year of the Bible? In other words, what do we want students to know about the Bible? 
And so we had a great conversation about that. And what we, the goals we came to decide were most important are that we want students to know how to read the Bible in context. That was the most important thing we wanted them to know. We also wanted them to understand the whole narrative arc of scripture. So to be able to, and to be able to read stories in the context of that whole arc. And then finally, we really wanted the Bible to be interesting for them. We wanted them to be able to see how the Bible could be fun and challenging to read, um, both individually and as a group. So then as we started making decisions about what we might change or adapt in terms of the way the confirmation program was structured and how we were going to teach, we always kept that in mind. For example, um, because of our goals, we decided that we wanted to read the Bible every class session um, because we wanted to be able to put into practice um, the skills of learning to read in context. And so that meant that in our teaching, we had to provide opportunities for that. Another example of this is um, in terms of our evaluation, we really wanted to make sure that we were checking in with students to see if they could, they understood what was happening. Um, and one of the great things about having me there as an intern is that I'm a good excuse for formal evaluation because we can sort of use my candidacy process as uh, a reason to do that kind of evaluation. So we had our goals. We always kept them in mind when we were thinking about how to implement um, changes to our program. And then we made sure that we had a means for evaluating whether or not we were reaching those goals. So that's one way that we've tried to implement this learning into our program this year. Learning number two. Effective confirmation is highly relational. This is something we also found across pretty much all the sites we looked at. And it makes sense. Um, we really wanted confirmation to be a place where students would uh, grow in relationship with one another, with one another, with God, and also with the leadership. So some questions that we were asking as we considered how to do this better is, do our students already know each other? Um, do they already know the leaders and vice versa? And what can we change to enhance our focus on relationships? Now at Grace, we have a relatively small group. Most of the students already know each other pretty well. They've been coming for at least a few years. Um, the pastor, Pastor Derek, has been here for about five years, so most of the stu students know him and he knows them. One interesting thing about our site, again, is that the intern changes every year. And so um, there's always half of the team has to get to know the students every year. Um, so it was important for me to build relationships right off the bat. Um, so that was something that I was keeping in mind as I began teaching is I need to learn their names at least by the second class, if not sooner. Um, so at Grace, we already had a strong focus on relationships, partly because our program is pretty small. But we also knew that there were ways we could improve this. So one of the ways um, that we sought to improve how we were doing relational confirmation is in our absences policy our attendance policy. This might seem a little bit strange, um, but at Boone, um, one of the things that wasn't working well in the past was the attendance policy. Students were missing a lot, 
and um, they weren't doing the makeup work that was required, which was written work, like a worksheet to catch up on what you'd missed. So people were not turning them in. It wasn't effective. Um, so actually one of the ways that we were trying to fix that was to move from written work to an in-person meeting. So basically if you miss class, what you have to do is make an arrangement to meet with either the senior pastor, the youth and family minister, or the intern, so me, um, to cover what you missed in class. Now this has the advantage of we actually um, can hopefully go over the material with the student instead of them filling out or not a worksheet, but also it has an added benefit of really enhancing the relationships in our confirmation program. So by having one-on-one -on -one meetings with students that miss class, we actually get to know them a lot better. Um, and I think it emphasizes to them that your learning is important to me. I care so much about you knowing what we covered in class and your process and confirmation that I'm willing to take time out of my day to meet one-on-one -on -one with you to make sure that you know what it was that we covered so that you know that we missed that you were there and want you to be caught up for the future. Um, so that's kind of a strange way that we've really enhanced the relational character of confirmation through our attendance policy and through makeup work. Another example is the way that we do evaluation. Um, a lot of it is informal and in-person. So I ask a lot when I see students outside of the confirmation time how confirmation is going for them, what's working well and what's not working well. I usually tell them, if it's really, really boring, I need you to tell me so I can fix it. Um, and then I try to take their feedback seriously. Um, this has really helped build relationships with the students because it gives me a chance to check in with them and it also says to them, hopefully, that I care about not wasting your time. I don't want this to be really boring. I want to make sure that confirmation is a useful time and I'm going to do my best to make sure that that's, that's the case, um, which is why I'm going to continue to check in with you. So those are a couple of ways, um, maybe outside the box, that we've worked to make our confirmation program a little bit more focused on relationships. Um, and you can see that hopefully these questions will help guide um, you as you're trying to adapt the learnings to your own program. Learning number three. We found that effective confirmation engages parents. So some questions that we were asking is, are parents involved and to what degree? And how can we involve parents more? This is one of the main things that we were thinking about as we were reworking our confirmation program for this year. Um, Pastor Derek really wanted to engage parents more, especially since he knew that a lot of the parents of the students we have didn't know the information we'd be covering in confirmation with their students. We already have a system where they sign a covenant alongside their kids um, to be committed to the confirmation process. But that's a pretty minimal level of engagement, especially since I don't know if a lot of parents take that seriously, other than getting their kids there on Sunday morning. Um, so we wanted to increase the level of engagement. So one of the things we decided to do was to invite the parents to attend sessions 
on different parts of the Bible, the, the overview or introductory sessions. So for example, we invited parents to attend the first two sessions. The first session was on what is the Bible, so a kind of basic overview, how we understand what the Bible is, and then the second session on how we use the Bible. So we really wanted parents to know that same basic information as their kids so they could be on the same page along with them during the year. And we actually had really good attendance on those first two weeks. We've also invited parents to attend the overviews on the different genres of books in scripture. So for example, we invited them to attend the introduction to the Pentateuch, the introduction to the historical books. We've had less success later on in the term with that. But we're hoping to be able to encourage parents again to attend in the spring. We also invite parents to attend special events like our spring fishing trip um, so that they can be involved with some of the relationship building with our students um, and be present at significant uh, moments like that. Um, so we've increased the level of expectation uh, and engagement for parents as in terms of their attendance of class sessions. Another way we've worked to at least include a few more parents is through teaching. Um, one example of this is we have a, a parent of a student who um, the parent is Jewish. And so she was really interested in the content that we were doing in the fall, which is on the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. So we actually invited her to help teach our class on Exodus to bring some of her perspectives from the Jewish tradition um, to enrich our class time. And that was a great place where we could involve a parent in an area where she had interest and expertise. So that's another way that we found specifically in our context with the people we have to engage parents a little bit more deeply. Learning number four. Effective confirmation has high expectations. One of, another one of the things we've found as we've been visiting sites is that a lot of places with very effective confirmation have a high level of expectations for their students, both in terms of attendance and also in terms of the level of engagement they expect from students in class. And so that led us to reflect on questions like, what level of engagement do we expect from our students here at Grace? And is this expectation communicated to students and parents at the beginning of confirmation? Related to that, what's our attendance policy? And then how do our teaching methods match our expectations for student engagement? So you'll hear me talk a lot about the change to our attendance policy. <laughs> I don't want to overstate this, but it, I think it really has um, been one of the major changes we've made this year and that it's having a significant impact. Um, it used to be in the past that students could miss up to six sessions during the year. But we figured that out. It's actually 20% of the class sessions. So we decided that's not a high enough expectation. If we really want students to learn and be engaged, then we, ex we need them to be there on Sunday morning. So we decreased the number of allowable absences to four. And then we also implemented the change in makeup work that I already described that instead of doing a worksheet, instead you have to have a personal meeting. And that increases the level of expectation. We expect you to be there and we expect you to engage with us um, and to catch up on the information that you've missed in class because it's really important to us 
that you know that stuff and that you're able to talk about it in future sessions because we're continually building on what we've talked about in the past. Um, then in terms of conveying these expectations, we made sure that they, the covenant that parents and students sign and that we sign as leaders was updated and that the new expectations were very clearly articulated in the first introductory meeting of the, of the new year. In terms of our teaching, we use a lot of discussion-based um, teaching methods, so we are often looking directly at a text from scripture and then engaging in conversations about it. So um, we ask a lot of students in terms of their level of engagement in class. We expect them to be reading scripture and we expect them to be able to ask questions and to engage over that text together. Um, so we're hopefully as teachers encouraging them to go deeper uh, valuing their questions, and really expecting a high level of engagement in class. As I mentioned before, we have some behavior issues, so um, sometimes this can be quite a challenge for us, but we're not lowering our expectations in response to those issues. We're maintaining the same high level of expectation and trying to work with students as best we can so that we can help them meet those expectations. Learning number five. Effective confirmation encourages questions. And so this is something that was really important to us because we're especially because we're teaching about the Bible this year. We wanted the confirmation class to be a space where students could ask questions about the Bible and that would be okay. Um, this is especially important to us when we're in an area that has a lot of fundamentalist churches that don't allow for that kind of questioning of the Bible. So that was a, a really high priority for us that goes alongside with our wanting students to be able to read the Bible in context. So one of the questions we asked ourselves is, is the confirmation class a space where students feel safe to ask questions? And how do we know that? Um, do we as leaders honor and respond to their questions? And is the curriculum attentive to or guided by student questions? Now for us, this um, this area of uh, being able to encourage questions is a little bit easier because our students already know each other. Um, so we don't necessarily have to do quite as much work on the front end of creating that um, group dynamic where students might feel comfortable to be able to ask questions. Um, but we do um, use a lot of discussion in our teaching, especially because we're teaching about the Bible. So we're reading a text and then most of our time is discussion time where we're asking questions about it. So that does, this learning does guide the way that we choose to teach about the Bible. We really want it to be question-based. Um, but then a question we have to ask ourselves is whether or not our curriculum is able to be flexible enough to respond to student questions. So for example, um, we have pre, we write our own curriculum and we write it in advance of the week that we're teaching. But sometimes questions or situations arise where we need to adapt that um, to respond to questions that student have, students have. So for example, I led the first week on historical books. And at the end, so we did a very quick overview. So it's a lot of material. 
Um, and at the end of that class period, I gave them time to think about questions that they still had. And we wrote down the questions. And then the next week, the first thing we did in class was to actually respond to those questions um, and to follow up on them before we covered any of the material that was actually scheduled for that week. So at least in that instance, we were being flexible to respond to student questions, but it's a difficult balance at times. Um, we're really guided in this respect also by our goal, thinking back to learning number one, that we want students to be able to ask questions about the Bible, to ask lots of them. Um, one thing that we could do better in relation to this is that our planning of confirmation in advance is not really guided by student questions. Um, and especially as we're thinking about year three, which is on discipleship, I think this is an area where we could really improve. And we could possibly solicit student questions about the life of discipleship, the life of being a Christian, before planning for that year, as opposed to responding in reaction to student questions, being a little bit pro proactive about trying to find out what students' questions are before we plan for the year. So it's, this is definitely an area where we could still be improving. Learning number six. Effective confirmation includes mentoring. I'm not going to talk a lot about this learning, um, but one thing we have found across a lot of pretty successful programs is that they include a mentoring element, whether formal or informal. So one thing we, we would ask ourselves is, do students in confirmation have opportunities to get to know other members of the congregation as a part of confirmation? Um, and is that through formal or informal mentoring? And which is a better fit for our context? Um, at Grace, we have small group leaders who are congregation members who help uh, direct the end of class, that last 10 or 15 minutes. Um, but we're still trying to figure out exactly what that time is for and how we're going to use it most effectively. So that's still a growth area for us. Um, we do have some formal mentoring time during Lent. Um, but I haven't been here during Lent yet um, since I'm only here for a year. So I haven't seen how that mentoring process goes. Um, but one of the things we really have learned from other sites is that those relationships formed with other members of the congregation are really important. Um, and so one thing we'll need to think about here at Grace is how we can make sure that those relationships are being formed and nurtured. Um, and again, I haven't, I've only been here three months, so I'm not really able to say um, how well we're doing on that at this point. I think we definitely still have some room to grow. Learning number seven. Effective confirmation is a church-wide effort. So we found that a lot of programs that are very effective at confirmation have a strong link between their confirmation programs and other ministries of the congregation. Now this includes other the children's ministry and the high school ministry, but it also includes the whole ministry of the church. Um, so one thing that might be helpful to ask as you're thinking about adapting this learning to your congregation is, is confirmation guided by the mission and vision of our congregation? So here at Grace, um, our mission is about, um, it's like three R's, um, rejoice, renew, respond. 
So it's about um, rejoicing in what God has done for us, being renewed by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and then responding in love and service to the neighbor. We, as a congregation, have a lot to work of work to do on making that um, mission more well-known and uh, maybe to guide our congregation a little bit more. So that's something we're working on as a whole congregation. And it definitely hasn't carried over to the confirmation program just yet. Um, so that's something we can do a lot better on. Another question would be, is confirmation connected to other ministries in our congregation? The answer for us is not really right now. This is definitely, again, another growth area where our confirmation students are kind of doing their own thing. Um, they do often go to the youth ministry. There's We have a middle school youth group that a lot of them, a lot of them are involved with, but they're pretty separate from a lot of the other ministries that our congregation does. So we could work on strengthening those ties. Um, Another question, are students expected to participate in the ministry of the church as a whole or other ministries of the church? Um, here at Grace, students are expected to participate in worship um, as lectors, assisting ministers, acolytes, or crucifers, but we don't really have an expectation that they learn about um, other ministries of the church and participate with them, um, at least not in the, the Bible year. Um, so definitely, this is, a, again, a growth area for us. And then another question we would want to ask that goes right along with the learning about mentoring is, are congregation members expected to know about and participate with confirmation? Our level of participation by outside members of the congregation is pretty low right now. Um, so that's an area where it might be possible, possible for us to increase those ties um, and work on integrating the confirmation program a little bit more with the whole ministry of the church. Learning eight. Effective confirmation goes to camp. And if any of you were um, listening to uh, Jacob Sorensen's presentation about confirmation camp, you'll know that um, this is a very significant experience for a lot of young people and can be very formative in their faith journey. So we've seen that a lot of effective confirmation programs have a camp or retreat component um, as a part of them that really kind of takes things to another level, allowing students to get away and have some very intentional um, relationship building time and that kind of spiritual retreat of being away. So one thing we asked is, does our confirmation program include a camp or retreat? The answer is yes. Our seventh graders go to confirmation camp with confirmation students from other churches in our area. And so the role that camp has in confirmation is really for those seventh grade students to connect with other people, other confirmands in the area to meet other students that are attending confirmation and to have some um, very intentional time with our leaders as the seventh graders. Um, I haven't experienced this yet at Grace, so I don't really know how we're doing on it. Um, it sounds like it's been a good experience for people in the past. Um, I'll be going this June with our seventh grade student. It's also something for us to con that we ha have considered expanding. Um, 
we're wondering if we can include the parents more, um, perhaps in like a household camp model with the other ages of confirmands. So it's something we're definitely aware of and considering how we can make this a more significant part of the confirmation journey. Learning nine. Effective confirmation knows its cultural context. This was a big and new learning for me. Um, what we found is, especially with uh, churches that we visited that were either ethnically diverse or were minority churches, they were very aware of their cultural context and how that was shaping the ministry that they, they were doing as a whole and specifically within confirmation. Um, a lot of the other uh, sites we visited, even site, sites that are predominantly white, um, the programs that were doing effective confirmation were aware of their cultural context too in their neighborhood, their city, and were engaged at least um, somewhat in trying to respond to that. So um, it seemed to me, as I was thinking about places in which I've been involved with confirmation that are predominantly white, that sometimes we don't often pay attention to our cultural context. It seems like we're kind of like culturally neutral, um, and so uh, there's not as much attention that's paid to our context as a culture, or our cultural context as a congregation, and how that fits with the culture around us. So um, one of the things that's been interesting for me about being here at Grace and Boone is that the cultural context is actually quite different from other places I've been a part of. I'm originally from Montana and have lived in Minnesota and also New Jersey. So this was really my first experience being anywhere in the South. And one thing that was really helpful to me in working with Pastor Derek to think about the confirmation program this year is how aware he was of the cultural context here in Northwestern North Carolina. Because how we teach about the Bible here is not the same as how I would teach about it in New Jersey at all. Um, students here are coming from a wide variety of backgrounds in relationship to scripture and in how their families and the traditions they come out of approach the Bible. Um, so one thing we're very careful about in how we present our curriculum this year is that we want to provide guidance for reading the scriptures um, and create options for opening up more avenues of interpretation, but we don't want to destroy what's there. And we don't want to um, say bad things about how these students' parents or grandparents might be interpreting the Bible, because um, that can be really damaging. So just being very aware of the religious context that we find ourselves in has been particularly significant for us here at Grace and Boone because we are quite a different voice from a lot of the voices of churches in our area, but um, a lot of our students are really informed by the majority religious culture that we find ourselves in. So that's been um, a major learning for us here, a way for us to um, really think about how our teaching is informed by our culture, being really attentive to that. So 
Um, in conclusion, I know in the real estate world they say location, location, location. Well, in the confirmation teaching world, uh, we should be thinking about context, context, context. And hopefully you've um, heard that throughout these learnings that um, especially, I think, as we're reading, as I hope you're reading, the site portraits that are coming out on our website, um, you're going to be reading about some really, really cool programs that are doing very exciting things. Um, but it's important to remember that their context is not the same, probably, in many ways as your own context. And that's been important for me working on the project and then coming to Boone to think about, okay, I have so many ideas um, about how we could do really exciting confirmation, but I have to be attentive to the ways in which that will work or not work based on the context in Boone at Grace. Um, so we've had to be creative and think about how we can adapt strategies from other congregations so that they will fit our context because we can't just like copy paste because <laughs> um, it's not going to fit. Um, we have to reformat and reconfigure and figure out how our students um, bring their own unique gifts and challenges and how that's going to shape the choices that we make about confirmation, even as we're guided by the really exciting and great things that other places are doing. Another thing we had to be careful about is prioritizing. So focusing on and trying to figure out what areas need the most attention and what can we maybe have a little bit more time to focus on later. So for us, the priorities were goals, um, being really clear about our goals, um, trying to work on the relational character of confirmation, and engaging parents. Those were some of the things we really worked on um, that we felt we were needing uh, work on. And so those were, okay, were you clear? These are learnings we want to be able to try and implement in our program. And then maybe some of the other areas we'll be able to work on later. And so that fits in with the next thing, leave room for growth. Um, you can't fix everything at one time. Um, so choose wisely and then trust that you'll be able to continue to grow into the future. So again, we focus on goals, relationships, and parents this year. But in the future, we'll work on strengthening, I think, our connections with other ministries in the congregation. Um, and also, hopefully, be able to focus more on being guided by student questions rather than just reacting to student questions. Another important element, of course, is prayer. Um, to pray for your students, to pray with your students and your other leaders, um, to be guided by the Holy Spirit as you're trying to figure out how to do this thing called confirmation. And I think the thing I've learned most um, from being here in Boone, actually, is to have fun with it. Um, our students are wonderful and challenging, and I did not expect how fun it would be to be reading the Bible with them every week um, and how much I would be challenged by the way that they interpret Scripture um, and how much excitement and fun we'd have um, in reading like crazy stories from the Bible. We uh, a couple weeks ago we they had questions about the uh, Samson killing the Philistines with the jawbone. So we just read that story and talked about it, um, and it was it was so much fun uh, to see them being engaged with Scripture. 
So that gives me a lot of hope, um, and it keeps me uh, excited to be moving forward as I work with confirmation here in Boone and in the future in different places. Thanks, Sylvia. This was so great. I love it. Um, it's uh, exciting to uh, what you're doing is kind of what the hope of the whole project is, which is that we can um, the research that we're doing can be um, contextualized locally in congregations and have an, a positive impact, which it sounds like it's having in Boone. So I'm, and it's fun that you went to a context that's somewhat unfamiliar um, to your own. Um, <laughs> So I want to invite all of our uh, the people watching right now to, if you can, find the place where you can type in questions. Sometimes it's off to the side here on the sidebar, or you might have to click over on the side and click a little chat window. But if you have a question, you're welcome to type that and send it in. Um, we already have a couple of questions, so I'll pose these um, to Sylvia, and she can hopefully um, share some insights with us. So um, I'm, I'm going to actually ask a question that I have first. So the, it sounds like you guys went about making this change to the attendance policy. And um, I am wondering how youth and parents responded to that and how, if that was like positive or how you got them on board or how were they involved in making that decision? Um, because I think in my experience in ministry, um, sometimes interactions with parents, especially on issues like this, are sometimes ones that cause some friction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we did not consult them at all. <laughs> That's the first response. We just decided from on high. Um, and so um, the main thing we wanted to do is really communicate the change. Um, so we at the beginning of confirmation every year, the parents and students all have to sign a covenant that outlines not sort of our expectations for the whole program and our hopes for it, but also very specifically the requirements for if you're going to be confirmed, here are the things you have to do. Um, and so making sure that that was the change and the change in that was communicated to parents and students that had already been part of confirmation in the past. So our seventh and eighth graders. I was actually surprised that there wasn't more like pushback about this. Um, I don't know if it's that parents just didn't really care or <laughs> they were thinking about other things, um, but we've really had surprisingly good attendance this year and parents have been really good about communicating when their students were going to be gone for the most part. I mean we have a few that are kind of have rough attendance anyway um, and that wasn't going to change. <laughs> honestly. Um, but a lot of our parents are really good about communicating, hey, my kid's going to be on this day. Um, when can they make up their session? Um, so I think it's been a really positive change overall. That's great. And I have a follow-up question just about those sessions. What do those look like? Do you meet kids at school? Do they come to the church? Do you meet them at their homes? And then how do you cover the material? Is that in a really formal way or do you go through a worksheet together? Mm -hmm. um, so in the makeup sessions, they're usually about 15 to 20 minutes long. So far, all the sessions I've had have been at church. So either students coming in after school or um, coming early to confirmation or staying after one of the worship services. Um, that's kind of been how we've navigated that so far. Um, I usually use it as a pretty informal conversation with the student. Um, so basically, I'll kind of give an overview of what the topic was that day 
um, and connect it to hopefully uh, another session they've been to either before or after um, to kind of build on some things they've already learned. And then usually if there was a store, a Bible story we specifically looked at, the student and I will look at that together. And then that gives the student the opportunity to ask questions and for us to talk about the actual text. That's great. I love hearing how you prioritized reading the Bible together and figured out a way to do that. And I think it's such a creative solution and really a simple solution to say when you miss, you have to meet with one of us. Um, I think that's a really, uh, I appreciate how simple and yet how it's a really creative solution that doesn't just say focus on the content but builds relationships. Here's another question for you. Um, in your research, have you seen any churches that you feel are doing an excellent job recognizing and implementing their context in their confirmation programs? And I'm thinking of one that you wrote about. Um, <laughs> but feel free to share stories from, from the research project that we, that we did as well. Yeah, I think one of the, um, the great things about all of the sites that we visited is pretty much all of them. I think one of the reasons they're so, they're so effective at doing confirmation is that pretty much all of them are very attentive to their context. Um, they know their students and they know the place that they're in and they really try to make confirmation fit that context. Um, the two sites that I visited I think are both really good examples of this. Um, one portrait is already up on the website. Um, the, that's Collingswood Presbyterian Church in Collingswood, New Jersey, and they have a very small program, only three students this past year. Um, so they've really taken advantage, I think, of having such a small program and tried to do some really cool things um, with such a small group. Um, so that's one, one church that's been doing that. Another one that I wrote about, too, is uh, Mount Olympus Pres in uh, Salt Lake City. So they have a really unique context in that they're a minority church, really, um, in the sense of the predominant culture is Mormon. And so the way that they do confirmation there is very attentive to, their, to the, the experiences of their students living in a predominantly LDS culture um, and how that shapes their approach to faith and what they need from a church community. Um, so those are two examples that I worked with specifically, but I really think all the places we visited really have a close attention to the context. Yeah, I agree. I think that definitely came through. And it seems like one of the things within confirmation that some congregations have been able to do, I was thinking of Mount Olympus, is um, give youth the language to respond to their cultural context as well when people ask questions. So in Boone, it might be like, I'm learning a way to interpret the Bible that's, you know, slightly different than the majority context. Um, but it's still, you know... Um, but, but they can like give give put some language to why they're doing that or the value of doing that. And I know in the yeah. Mount Olympus they have a really unique setting where they're that's a really important thing is to be able to answer to people who are very religious and very articulate, you know, why do I believe things that are different um, than what the majority culture believes. So here's another question for you. Um, how does confirmation fit into the other youth programming that's happening at Boone? Um, it sounds like confirmation is a class on Sunday mornings. Do, the youth, do these youth also have a Sunday school class? Is there a youth group? Or how does it fit into the larger educational ecology? Yeah, Ooh, excellent word. Um, yeah, so we have a full-time youth and family minister at Grace, which is a real gift. Um, so... 
um, really Kai does all the work with the youth groups. And so the way that it's structured here is that um, we have three youth groups. One is called Young Disciples, and that's for, I think, third through fifth graders. Um, that meets twice a month. Then there's a junior high youth group that meets four times a month, two, twice independently, and twice with the senior high youth. And then we have um, a, a high school youth group that meets every week as well, again, sometimes with the middle school students and sometimes independently. Um, those are on Sunday nights. Um, and so I think the best thing that I've learned so far from being here is um, how great it is to have a youth and family minister <laughs> that like really knows his stuff and is um, very skilled, but also how cool it is to be able to work as a team um, on faith formation. So Kai, like we send our curriculum to Kai, so he knows what they, what the students have learned in confirmation, and he can ask them about it on Sunday night when he sees them. Um, and then he can give us feedback too, it's that evaluation piece. Like, did they remember what they learned that morning? <laughs> um, what did they get out of it? Um, so that it's really great for us to have kind of a sounding board so our kids can talk to him about what they learned, and we can kind of get that backdoor feedback. Um, so that's been um, really helpful. The the confirmation really functions as the middle school Sunday school class time. It's during that time. Um, and then high school students have a separate Sunday school class that Kai teaches. Okay. That's good to know. Um, and then one final question for you, and then I'll just share a few announcements from our project. Um, do you have any recommendations or practices that might help congregations connect their particular mission with their confirmation program? Hmm. That's a really good question, and I don't think I have an answer to it. Um, I think one, at least one problem we're having at Grace with this is that we're still working on how to <laughs> be more aware of our mission as a whole congregation. Um, so that's, I mean, I think that's a first step, and we're um, doing some things with our synod, uh, with the with our denomination to help us do that better. Um, so if your congregation is already there, <laughs> um, I think communicating that mission statement to students would be a good first step. Like I don't think any of the confirmation students know the three R's um, <laughs> that we have at Grace. Um, half of the members don't even know what they are. Again, this is a problem. Um, but I think, and then I think using that to guide the some of the goals that you have. So I'm thinking particularly about how this could how we could do this with our year of discipleship. So that's year 3 of our confirmation program. How that whole year could really be guided by the mission statement of our congregation, which I don't it's not right now, but I think that's a an area that could be real fruitful to pursue. Yeah. One of the congregations that we have in our study um, is Kingston United Methodist Church in Kingston, New Jersey, and their mission statement is feed more sheep. And I think they um, are a good um, example of a congregation who um, has been able to have their mission statement kind of inform all of the different ministries of the church. Now, they're also a very tiny little congregation of like 
75 people. So I think, um, and they had kind of a whole year where they launched this mission statement and they had everybody involved in sharing on Sundays, how did you feed more sheep this week? So I think um, it, it, that's a really challenging thing and to get people to under, or to be able to articulate and understand and be on board with what the mission statement is for a congregation. Well, um, I guess I do have one more question for you. What was the most surprising thing to you as you started teaching? Um, what kind of threw you off guard or you were like, whoa, I didn't expect this as you began your, um, your pastoral internship year? Yeah, um, I pointed this to this a little bit at the end of um, my, my formal conclusion, but I just... I really love teaching. I don't know what I thought would be different about this, but it, it's been so fun. Um, I think it's just because, you know, middle school is kind of a weird age. I hadn't worked with them a lot before in churches. Um, I was expecting it to be uh, more challenging in a less fun way, <laughs> um, I guess. So we just had, and I think especially just I've been so impressed by um, the questions that they've raised and the insights that they've had about um, the scripture that we've read together. It's been, it's just been so fun. And, you know, I mentioned, I mean, it's kind of a tough group. We have a lot of some behavior issues, but even some of the kids that have are the most problematic in sort of the nuts and bolts of the day have some of the greatest insights um, about scripture and are like right sometimes they're just like right there with you um, and so that's just been so fun um, for me to be able to work with them and to see the growth they've already made in just a few weeks of confirmation so that's been yeah. the most exciting I think that's great um, and then we have one more question pop up so why not answer it right um, Anne has a question um, might it help to have a mentor and student participate in a mission or ministry activity together I think that sounds yeah. like a great idea, Anne. What do you think, Sylvia? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's something, and again, there might be more. Part of the interesting thing for me being here is I'm only going to be here for this year. So I haven't seen what they've done in the past in person. And also I won't be here <laughs> for what they do beyond this year. Um, but I know that that's one of the mission projects and um Actually, our pastor here calls them like vision projects instead of mission. Um, <laughs> but uh, that's been a real uh, emphasis of his, and it's one of his strengths. So I think um, I very much expect that that's something that'll be worked more into the confirmation program in the future. Well, thank so you so much, Sylvia. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think you give a really great perspective. Also, in our study, we found that you know, um, just under ten percent of people who are doing leading confirmation are kind of in Sylvia's position. It's their first year doing it, so um, I think you gave a really great um, kind of example of how even if you're brand new, um, sometimes we say, you know, don't do anything new until you've been there a few years and everybody trusts you. But I think you did a really good job of kind of coming in with some ideas and questions and have um, with your, you know, in this ministry made some really small but significant shifts um, that have been really meaningful changes for that program that hopefully last and encourage discipleship among youth. Let me um, just tell you all about, so we had Sylvia today, we've had two other webinars, you can find them on our website under our resources link, there will be another webinar next month, we'd love to invite you to that, if you're on our mailing list, wonderful, if you're not, you can sign up through our contact us link. 
Also, there are two new things on our, our website. The webinars are also now offered as podcasts, so you can download those and listen to them on your commute to work. And we have a calendar that um, will you can go to and you can see the upcoming events. Um, sometimes our people from our team are speaking at different places and we would love for you to join us there. Or you can join us for these webinars. Um, they're available online, so even if you miss it, you can go and watch it later on. I also just wanted to let you all know that the second year of our study is about to launch, so you may be getting an email, or whoever is the contact person according to your denomination will be getting an email inviting you to participate in our survey. We would love for you to do that. Um, the more people who participate, the more interesting the results are, and the more useful this research is to congregations. If you're worried about whether or not you're going to be getting an email, you can contact us through that Contact Us link, and there's a place where you can indicate, um, please send me all the information related to the research project. So, um, and also finally, I just want to thank the company that is helping us with all of our online web technology. That's the Smart Church Project. Um, Michael Gawecki and Brian Miller have been infinitely helpful at every stage of the way um, and have made our ministry and our research um, be able to be available um, in a very accessible way. So um, we're just thrilled to be working with them. So with that, um, I'll say goodbye. Sylvia, do you want to sign off? Yes, thank you all so much, and uh, look forward to hearing all the exciting things y'all are doing in the future. Thanks, and we'll see you next month.